themselves in our study of heaven, and this is the fifth study that we've been going through. Let's talk about heaven, and and so uh, just in way of review, I just want to remind you what we've been through. You can get the messages online or in the back there. Um, The first week we looked at what heaven is, and heaven is a place, and uh, we also looked at where is heaven, and we said that the scripture says that heaven is up. How far, we don't know, but it's pretty far. It's beyond all the heavens that we know, the atmospheric heaven and the, the heavenly hosts. We looked back into the book of Ezekiel, and we found out a little bit about what heaven is going to be like, and also in Revelation. And also, we looked at what we will be like when we will enter heaven on that glorious day. How we will relate to one another. Uh, how we'll relate to our family, our friends, our, uh, the angels in heaven. How we'll relate to God. We looked at all those things in the past several weeks. But this morning, I want us to look at what we will do in heaven. Have you ever pondered that thought? Have you ever thought in your mind, okay, you're going to get to heaven. Uh, am I just going to be sitting on a cloud somewhere playing a flute or a harp? What, what's going to happen? It just, uh, if that's what's going to happen in heaven, it's going to be very boring for me. Okay, I can't sit still two seconds without kind of refocusing on something. So uh, I was... Glad to find out that's not what heaven is. We don't just go up there and lay around and do absolutely nothing. But I think a way to think of heaven, what we will do in heaven, is first of all, to look at it maybe from a negative standpoint, what we won't do in heaven. What we will not do in heaven. Because that's part of our understanding of what heaven will be. We've been looking at the aspect of heaven. We know it's a perfect place. We know that we will not sin in heaven. So there ever, never needs to be any kind of confession ever again once we enter heaven. We never have to apologize to anyone because we won't be doing anything wrong. We don't have to write a letter to somebody and say, sorry, you misunderstood what I said. That's not what I said. We won't even experience guilt in heaven. No guilt. Um, never have to correct any wrongdoing in heaven. We won't have to straighten out something that maybe got confused in the email that we wrote to somebody, because nobody and nothing will ever be confusing to anyone. We won't have to repair or replace anything, because nothing will ever malfunction or wear out in a place called heaven. We won't have to help anyone, because nobody's going to need any help in heaven. (laughs) We won't have to battle the enemy, Satan, and the demons We'll never have to deal with sinners ever, ever again. We won't have to defend ourselves against unjust attacks or against just attacks, for that matter, because we won't ever be attacked in heaven. We'll never be sad. We'll never be lonely in heaven. We'll never be hurt emotionally or physically in this place we're going to called heaven We'll never need to be cured or counseled or coddled or entertained for that matter. In heaven, we're, never gonna, we're, we're only going to experience absolute joy. Absolute joy in this place called heaven. We'll never grieve again because we won't lose anyone or we won't miss anyone near and dear to us. 
I like this, we won't have to be careful. For those daredevils out there, heaven's a place you don't have to be careful anymore because you can never make a mistake. We won't ever have to plan for emergencies or avoid danger because we won't encounter either one of those. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to this place called heaven. And it's going to be a glorious day when God ushers us, whether by death or by his coming, into his presence. But let's look this morning at it from a positive perspective. What are we going to actually do in heaven? I mean, we know that we're going to be dwelling there with the Lamb, the Son of God, the Father. But what will we do? We know that we're going to have a perfect body and a perfect soul. We're going to have experience that's unmixed with any kind of sin at all. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically tell us our individual responsibilities and what they will be, but it does provide a general description of what we will be doing in heaven. And the first thing, basically, heaven is a place of eternal, loving, adoring worship of the Lord and God the Father throughout all eternity. Without any interruption, we will continually be able to praise God. Without any kind of evil thought entering our mind when we're in the midst of a prayer meeting or the time when we're worshiping God or whatever it might be, the enemy attacks us. That will never happen again. Our worship won't be related to a particular place. You won't have to come to a church to worship God. You don't, you don't have to today either. You can worship God right in your home. But we will continually be able to praise God in this place called heaven. And worship is something that God holds of high value. In John 4, 24, remember when Jesus was speaking to the Samaritan woman, he said this, such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is actively seeking people to worship him. And that's the whole goal of this whole process, is one day we will be in glory with him, unstained by sin, being able to worship him truly in spirit and truth. In heaven, we're going to have a fuller knowledge of God and who he is and what he's done for us. We're going to have a deeper knowledge of his attributes, his deeds, and his presence will just cause us to burst forth in unending praise. I think what thrills me the most about heaven is that it's going to be perfect. Our worship, our praise in heaven will be perfect. There'll be no miscued notes. There'll be no off-key singing. There'll be none of that. We'll be able to rejoice and to sing unto the Lord in absolute perfection. And I'm looking forward to that. Heaven is a place where we're called to reverence, to glorify and worship God. That's what God calls all men to do. That's the chief end of all men, that we would give him glory. That's the the gospel. That's the mandate of the gospel, I should say. Philippians 3.3, Paul describes it this way, Worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We're going to be able to do that totally and fully in this place called heaven. And so when we stop and we think about this place called heaven, there's going to be a place where we can totally worship God. Turn over in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 4. I just want to give you a little picture 
of what's to come. And we've read some of these verses um, as we've gone through the Gospel of Matthew. Revelation 4. Revelation 4. It says in verse 10, The twenty-four elders fell down before him who was seated on the throne and worshipped him. And worship him live, who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. In chapter 5, he continues. Look down at verse 8. It says, And when he had taken the scroll, and, and four living creatures and twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp, there will be harps in heaven, and golden bowls full of incense, where, the prayer, where are the prayer of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, look at what they sing, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels, numbering myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And at the end there, verse five, chapter 5, it says, And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and, what? and they worshipped him. Worship will be something that we do in heaven. Even over in chapter 7 of Revelation, verses 9 to 12, it gives us a similar depiction of what's going on. It says they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God. And then down in chapter 11, verses 15 to 17, once again, they're worshipping God. Over in Revelation 19, same thing, they're worshipping God. Worship is going to be one of the centerpiece things that we do in heaven. That's why it's so important, I think, here on earth that we will understand when we get there, heaven is going to be preoccupied with the praise of God. And I think that that's a strong reason for us to be preoccupied with praise now that we're here on earth, to get ready. You know, I talk to some people, I don't like to worship, I don't like to worship. Well, they have a misunderstanding of what worship is. Worship isn't about music. That's part of worship, but that's not what worship is. Worship is coming, giving our all to to God in some form or fashion, whether it's singing, whether it's giving, whether it's fellowship, studying the word, whatever it might be. But in heaven, we'll have the opportunity to worship God perfectly. So we should be getting ready for that now. We'll see his majesty. We'll see his perfection in his glory And as we gaze upon him for the first time, unstained by sin, our lips will just break out in praise and worship. We will praise God every way that's possible in our perfected bodies and our souls in heaven.
Not only will we worship, but we'll also reign. We'll reign. We'll rule. Uh, first of all, there's going to be a delegated worship, or a delegated reigning in heaven. Excuse me, a delegated reigning in heaven. There's going to be certain responsibilities. Even as God has given certain responsibilities within the church, he's gifted certain individuals and he's gifted everybody for a certain calling, a certain task within the body of Christ. Everybody in this room, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual gift from God. And God expects you to be using that gift within the body of Christ. And he's doled them out according to his sovereign will. We're not to look at somebody else and say, gee, I wish I was like that or I wish I was like that. No. We're to, we're to focus on how God has gifted us uniquely in our personality and, and our, our mental capacity. I mean, sometimes I go to these conferences and I sit there and I listen to these guys speak and I'm thinking, okay, they lost me like 10 minutes ago. I mean, and I, and I walk away kind of feeling guilty, feeling like, gee, you know, I wish I could be that smart. You know, when you hear somebody like Al Mohler who reads a 500-page book on his flight from New York to L.A., I mean, you know, and he can tell you what each chapter's about. I mean, just amazing intellect. But you know what? That doesn't impress God. That's great. I mean, I always, you know, I just came up a couple loaves short up there, I guess. I don't know. But, you know, so it takes a little more for me to, to put things together and to see how things work and to understand, at times, even the Word of God. You read it over and over and over again. I say, why aren't I seeing this? Why, what does God want me to see out of this? But you know what? That's how God created me. And I'm okay with that. He created you different. I mean, thank God. It would be a very boring place if we were all the same. Amen? I mean, God created us all different. And he calls us all to serve the body of Christ in a different way, in a different task. Some it's through greeting. Some it's through fellowship time. Some it's through teaching children. Leadership. Teaching. Preaching. Whatever it might be. But don't be mistaken that God has definitely given you a gift, and that's what's going to happen in heaven. It's going to be a delegated reigning, a ruling in heaven. God will operate his kingdom in heaven much the same way he operates his kingdom here. He's going to be delegating its operation to his people. There's going to be that. Not everybody's going to be doing the same thing. Also, it's going to be a perfect ruling or reigning in heaven, they will never fail to meet our responsibilities. Have you ever had a job and you just feel bad because you didn't own up to what the job called you to do? Or maybe you missed a deadline or you left down a customer, whatever it might be. There's not going to be any of that in heaven. It's, we're going to be able to rule and reign perfectly. In contrast to somebody like Peter, who was continually given responsibilities by the Lord, but he continually failed. He finally wanted to leave the ministry Partly because I think he couldn't stand the failure. He was told to wait for the resurrected Christ in Galilee, but he decided to go fishing instead. That's what John 21.3 tells us. I mean, I, I think Peter was returning to his old trade. I, thought, I think that Peter was looking at this new ministry thing with Jesus going, you know, I've failed so many times, I, I can't, can't step up to the plate again. He's tired, he was tired of being unable to accomplish what the Lord had delegated to him. Praise God, things turned around for him. And they can turn around for you as well. But in heaven, we're never going to have to face failure again, beloved. I think we all live with kind of a, you might say, a self-imposed pressure to succeed. Nobody likes to fail. I've never met somebody who gets up in the morning and says, Hey man, I can't wait. Great new day. I can't wait to fail today. No. 
Everybody, whether it's a job or at school or, you know, whatever it might be, being a mother, you, you all want to succeed. We understand that. And we're never going to feel that pressure again in heaven. Being called to serve Christ in this world is a precious opportunity, and we should all want to make the most of it. But we look forward, I look forward to the day when we'll be in a place that we can rule and reign with Christ perfectly. It's also a reign that he promised us. It tells us that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. Notice that. He caused us to be born again. When we're talking about salvation, let's get it straight. We don't find God. God's not lost. Okay? <laughs> He saves us. We don't save ourselves. Sometimes I hear people say, well, when did you get saved? And they'll say, well, I found the Lord back. <laughs> oh, really? So he was missing for a couple years, I guess. You know, no. He caused us to be born again to a living hope, it says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ in 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4, from the dead to obtain an inheritance, look at this, which is imperishable and undefiled that will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We have something in heaven that is there. It's a promise. It's, it's something that God has reserved for us, an inheritance. Right now, it's in heaven. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ, it's waiting for you. And in addition to that, Romans 8.17 says that we will be fellow heirs with Christ. That we are fellow heirs with Christ. That's part of our inheritance. Our inheritance includes eternal life. It includes heaven. It includes holiness, joy, peace, righteousness. But it also includes that we're going to be a fellow heir, a fellow reigner with Christ. I mean... Think about what Christ is, his authority spreads over, over nations, demons, holy angels, everything. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, Paul says that, hey, we will judge angels when we're in heaven because we're going to be co-heirs with Christ. Matthew nineteen twenty eight, Jesus says, truly I say to you that you who have followed me in the regeneration, the rebirth of the kingdom, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you also will sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the apostles. And he's promising them, when you get to heaven, you will actually reign over the twelve tribes of Israel. That's, that's a pretty significant thing in the Jewish culture. He tells the rest of us that we will have an inheritance, that we will be co reigning with Christ forevermore. But it's also proportionate, this reign. He doesn't just dole it out as whatever he, he wants. It's proportionate. When we get into Matthew 25, talking about the, uh, the, the parable uh, of the talents, we saw that it's, it's going to be, it, it's, it's important to understand that God holds us accountable in heaven for what we do with our gifts and our talents now. And that parable in Matthew 25, 14 to 21 there, he, he goes over that. And I think it's a picture 
of heaven for the faithful person who made the most of his spiritual gifts here on earth. The more faithful you are in this life, the more responsibility you will have in the life to come. Somehow our rule in heaven is proportionate to our faithfulness in this life here on this earth. So it's, it's, we don't quite understand it, but it will be proportionate to what we're doing now. Now remember, God is just. God is sovereign over these things. Some will get to rule over the tribes of Israel. Well, that's not going to be us. But we'll have other responsibilities. We'll have differing responsibilities. And everything is going to be perfect. Just, just the way God wants it to be with our gifting and our personality. We're going to be doing something in heaven, ruling and reigning. And it's going to be proportionate to what God has created us to be. You know, the slogan for the army, be all that you can be, right? Well, the army can't do that. They can't make you all that you can be, but God can. God can. Only God can do that for you. And someday, that's what's going to happen when we enter heaven. And I think the opposite of being given responsibility and ruling and reigning in heaven, in that same parable in verse 30 in Matthew 25, it says, of the one who was unjust, with one talent, the servant It says, cast the worthless slave into outer darkness, which is the antithesis of heaven. It's hell. The contrast is that the one slave is in hell. The other one, the other two are in heaven because of their faithfulness. (coughs) Remember, God will hold us accountable for how we use our gifts, our talents here on this earth. Thirdly, we're going to be not only worship and rule and reign in heaven, but we're also going to serve. We're going to serve in heaven. Um, Revelation 1.6, John said this, He has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. Well, what do priests do? Priests serve. That's what they always have done. They serve the people on behalf of God. The keynote of the priesthood was that intimate service between them and God. They were able to go into the house of God, into the Holy of Holies, and actually be in the presence of the Lord. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, what happened to the veil? The veil that separated the Holy of Holies, it was split, right? From top to bottom. And what did that do? That exposed the Holy of Holies to everyone, And by graphic illustration, God was saying everybody who comes to Christ can be in his presence. Because it's through Christ that we have the forgiveness of sin. The Bible says that every new covenant believer is a priest. I like to tell my Roman Catholic friends that. (laughs) See, we all have access to God. I don't need to go to some priest somewhere and have him be the intermediary between me and God. The Bible says just the opposite. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's one God and there's one mediator also between God and man. Who? The Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says that we have been called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That idea of the marvelous light kind of has the idea of the Shekinah glory, that consuming presence of God. One day we will ultimately be in that presence because we'll be free from sin. 
because we are a people for God's own possession, 1 Peter 2.9 says. That's why Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says this, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of what? Grace. Why? Because in this sinful body, we need the grace of God, right? We can't just go marching, you know, whole right, right into God's presence. We'd be consumed because we dwell in a sinful land, in a sinful body. But it says that we can boldly enter God's presence to commune with Him. And out of that communion, we're going to end up serving Him. There's no intermediary between God and man. Human form. There's only the Lord Jesus Christ. In heaven, we are going to serve as perfect priests. And we're not only going to approach the throne of grace, but we're going to approach the throne of glory. See, we can't go any further than the throne of grace right now because of our sinfulness. But in heaven, we're going to be perfect. So we'll be able to go right past the throne of grace into God's perfect presence, the throne of glory. Revelation 21.3 says that in heaven, God will dwell among us and we will be his people. God will be the temple in heaven. His presence will be. And so that's kind of an important thing to understand. That presence of the Lord, we will be there with him. That's what's going to happen in heaven, but we're also going to be rewarded according to our faithfulness, as I mentioned before, here on earth. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says this, Do not go on passing judgment before the time, but it says, Wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's heart. And then each man's, man's praise will come to him from where? From God. What's Paul saying? He's saying, don't worry about what people are saying about you now. If you know in your heart your motivation's right and you're doing something is on to the Lord and people are making fun of you or people are questioning your motives, don't worry about it. God knows your heart. If your heart is pure before God, that's what matters. So many times people get into ministry and they start listening to everybody else that's telling them what to do or they're listening, oh, you know, why are you doing that? Are you just trying to show off? Are you just trying to do... And they may have a pure heart and they're trying to do it and they get discouraged and they quit. We answer to God and God alone, beloved. And that's, that's so important to understand. When we're serving the Lord, you know, you don't know my motivation, but God does. And that's, I'm going to answer to God one day, not to you. And you won't answer to me. Amen? Amen. So that's, that's a big, important thing for us to understand. Because here on earth, you know, we, we tend to judge what's on the outside sometimes. And we can't do that. We're not called to do that. And that's what Paul is saying there in that verse. He's saying, hey, one day when God comes back, he's going to already know the motivation of what you, you serve the Lord. If you just did it to be seen by men, well, then you're not going to get any reward in heaven. Your praise here from, the, from man's lips is your reward. And that's fleeting. But when you do it as unto the Lord, in heaven one day, you will be rewarded for that. That's why he says, each man's praise will come to him. Every believer will receive a reward in heaven. 1 Corinthians 3.12 says, If a man builds upon the foundation of Christ with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become, what? Evident. We're going to be rewarded. Some will have gold, silver, precious stones. Others will have hay, wood, straw. 
That doesn't mean that the hay, wood, straw is bad. It's not. It's a reward just like the gold. But obviously the gold is a little more precious. It's a little more durable. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20 says, Who is our hope or joy or crown of exultation? Is it not even you in the presence of the Lord Jesus at his coming? For you are our glory and our joy. See, part of our reward in heaven, beloved, will be the joy of seeing those who are there because of our faithfulness. Remember that song that somebody wrote years ago? Thank you for giving to the Lord. Remember that song? Such a a wonderful song. And it speaks of how when you get to heaven, man, you'll you'll realize who went before you and who kind of nurtured you along the way. Maybe it was that Sunday school teacher that you, you sat in just in one class and they were faithful to teach you the word of God and they spoke something to your heart when you were little. Maybe it was a counselor later on in life. Maybe it was somebody on the radio that you don't even know. You heard a message. Who knows? But God says that they will be rewarded according to their faithfulness. 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul says, Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. And they do it to receive what? A perishable crown. Something that can be wasted away. But we, it says, an imperishable crown. The reward we're going to get will never diminish in value. It will never pass away. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, In the future there is laid up for me, Timothy, or Paul's writing this, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord... The righteous judge will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all those who loved his appearing. See, the crown of righteousness is an eternal righteousness. The crown of life is eternal life. The crown of joy is eternal joy. These aren't crowns that somehow you're going to have to get fitted on your head. You know, I don't know about you, I don't like to wear hats. I just don't, never have. I'd rather get sunburned than put something on my head, which probably is not good, so I use... That stuff, you know, the white stuff that you've got to put on your head to keep the sunburn from happening. So the thought of wearing a crown, to me, is just not very appealing. I, I was yeah, just blessed to understand that, you know what, these aren't things that we're going to have to walk around heaven with these crazy crowns on our head. It's what we will experience. We'll experience eternal life, eternal joy, eternal service, eternal blessedness. First Peter chapter 5, verses 2 and 4 says, Shepherd the flock of God among you, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Just as the crown of life is eternal, the crown of rejoicing is eternal, the crown of glory is eternal as well. And John reminds us in Revelation, the Lord says, Behold, I am coming quickly, chapter 22, verse 12, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what? What he has done. What he has done. See, your capacity for eternal joy, eternal glory, and eternal service is somehow related to what we're doing right now. Are you building with gold, silver, precious stone, or are you building with wood, hay, and straw? Are you doing the best you can to serve the Lord? Are you just doing what you can to get by? That ought to motivate our hearts. Sometimes people, you know, I hear 
hear people say, you know, you, you just need to slow down. You know, you just, you're going to burn yourself out. You, you can't do this stuff. Well, why not? That's what God calls you to do. I mean, do you think that there's some, some glory and somehow having a reserve at the end of this life just to sit on some island somewhere and do absolutely nothing for the Lord? I never understood pastors that retire. I never understood, you know, the pastors that walk away and just say, oh, I'm done with men. I, I can't understand that. I can't understand people who've, who've, who I talk to and they say, oh, I, I used to teach Sunday school, but that was, I, don't do that, I don't do that anymore. Why not? What do you do now? Maybe if you replace that with something else, then you, then you have a, an argument. Okay? But if you're doing absolutely nothing for the Lord just because you're an older person, that's not acceptable. That's just not simply acceptable. You say, well, I may have physical ailments. Well, you know what? We all have physical ailments. We all have issues in our life. God has gifted each and every one of you specifically for the body of Christ to be used within a local church, whether it's this church, another church, whatever. I'm asking you this morning, are you being faithful to how God has gifted you? You know, in heaven, we're going to be serving. It's not going to stop. We're going to continue to serve. You know, and and sometimes people serve out in front. Sometimes people serve behind the scenes. Sometimes people can't, you know, do what they used to do. So you know what? What they can do is they can pray. Praise God for that. We need that. I mean, that we would have more saints that would commit themselves to prayer. So that ought to motivate our hearts to, to recognize, are we doing all that we can do for the Lord even now? Because one day, the next point is that one day we'll be able to rest. We'll be able to rest. You know, some of you moms, you know, I can tell, man, you need the rest. You need it. It's, it's, it's coming from all sides. One day in heaven, you'll get the rest. Hebrews 4.1 says that we will enter his rest. Verse 9 declares that it remains, therefore, a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Matthew 11.29 says, take, Jesus said this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you, sh- and you shall rest for your souls. See, we should be involved in serving the body of Christ, but I also see some people that go to the extreme. And they're so involved in ministry or in whatever, the rest of their, the rest of their life is falling apart. You know, and that's not right either. You know, God gave us an example in the, the, the six-day work week and the seventh you know, day of rest. I mean, there's a reason behind that. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be on a Sunday. Okay, the Sabbath was on a Saturday. So, I mean, you've you got to find some time during the week where, you know what, you're just resting in the Lord. That you're spending that time in His Word. That you're spending that time in prayer. That you're allowing your body to recoup from all the work that you've been involved in. But I just look forward to heaven because when it speaks of rest for the people of God, it means that we will never be weak. We will never be weary. We will never be unfulfilled or interrupted. It's a unique kind of rest. It's not like we're going to be tired in heaven so we need rest. That's not the kind of rest it's talking about. Because we'll never be tired in heaven. So we need to be reminded of that. 
in Revelation, I think it's 14, it says, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. <laughs> Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. You know, that's an important thing. When we go to be with the Lord, we will be at rest. We're not talking about just laying in a grave somewhere, or that kind of rest. No, but we're talking about our body will never need to take a nap again. We'll never, you know, you, you might say, well, you know, I just enjoy sleeping. Well, in heaven you won't have any need to. You just won't. So we need to be reminded of these things. And that's why here on earth we're called to serve. We're called to do what we can for the Lord. And then the last thing here quickly is to be served. Some people don't realize this. But in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 and 37, Christ said this, Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps alight. Luke 12. And be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and he knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you, look at what happens, that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come up and he will wait on them. Talk about an incredible thing in heaven. There's one thing that we will experience in heaven we will experience being served by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I mean, that image of that Lord returning to this palace where his slaves are waiting and everything is prepared. And they've been faithful to the Lord. And when he arrives, he calls them together. And rather than kind of making them serve him, he serves them. What an incredible thing to look forward to. Do you know that we won't serve each other in heaven? We won't have to serve each other because the Lord will be serving us when he reti- returns and finds us faithful. I mean, it's, it's incredible to think of worshiping him forever, reigning with him forever, serving him forever, resting forever, all those things. But when we think of him serving us, it shouldn't surprise us because after all, he did wash the disciples' feet, right? He gave us that example. But when we understand what the Bible teaches about heaven, beloved, hopefully you're finding it sensible to look forward to this place. Hopefully you're finding it within yourself to set your affections on heaven. Because there's several benefits, just in closing quickly, of looking forward, looking toward heaven. Looking toward heaven is evidence of genuine salvation. You show me a Christian who's not interested in heaven, they're probably not a Christian. That's the whole purpose of our salvation, to prepare us for that glorious day when we'll be in the presence of God, being able to worship and serve and enjoy the fellowship with him. A preoccupation with heaven is a good indication that you're saved. It's where your heart is. Do you long to be in the heavenlies? You know, so many times you hear this thing, oh, you know, that, that guy's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. You know, I don't believe we have too many Christians living that way today. I'm sorry. I think it's just the opposite. So many of us are living so, so full bore here on earth that we forget about this place called heaven. A heart set on heaven is a heart set on God. A heart set on God is a heart that has been changed. 
evidence of genuine salvation. It also produces Christian character. I mean, think about it. Nothing should compel us to be what God wants us to be more than thinking about heaven. You understand that your inheritance, your rewards, your, your, your glories, your joy, privileges, everything is in heaven waiting for you. I trust that you want to, you know, allow God to mold your character to become more Christ-like each and every day. To look forward to that. Looking toward heaven is the truest path to joy. If you want to get down in your life, if you're one that's given over to depression, just start looking at the world. Start listening to the news. Start reading the newspaper. You'll get depressed real quick. You'll get frustrated first, then you'll get depressed. (laughs) Okay, because you realize nothing you can do about it. If you want to keep joy in your life, look toward heaven. Keep your focus heavenward. David said, the light of God's face gladdens the heart in Psalm 21.6. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul said that the eternal weight of glory is far beyond anything we suffer now. I'm not saying life is easy. And and just thinking about heaven, it's not going to make your heartaches and and financial woes go away. That's not the case. But you know what? At least it'll put things in perspective. Looking toward heaven also protects us from the temptation and from sin. I think one of Satan's biggest schemes that he has, one of the the game changers that he keeps in his pocket is if somehow he can get Christians to forget about heaven and just think about the earth. Pretty soon you're just so caught up with the earth, your job and preparing for retirement and all the financial things and everything that, you know, heaven is just this fleeting thing that maybe you think about once in a while. When we're focused on heaven, it keeps us from that temptation. It also maintains the vigor of our spiritual service. I don't know about you, but if, 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 if you properly value this heavenly prize that we'll be getting one day, it should compel you to give everything that you can for the Lord. To really serve Him. Unbridled. Full bore, pedal to the metal. Just, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And I'll do it to the best and the the most of my ability. Use me, Lord. Looking toward to heaven honors God before everybody. When your heart is set on heaven, you demonstrate your love for God, your love for Christ. Your faithful service gives the people who see you a high view of God. They see God not only as all-demanding, but as all-worthy. You honor God when you live with a heart toward heaven. I pray that as we consider this day, a day that we are called to honor mothers, a day that we're called to give thanks for their faithfulness, that we wouldn't forget the faithfulness of our very God in his provision for us, not just in our substance every day, roof over our head, clothes on our back, food on our table, but he's done so much more spiritually for us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ.
Maybe you're here this morning and you're unsure of your ticket to heaven. Maybe you're unsure if you have that reservation, that inheritance in heaven reserved for you. There's only one way that you can be secured of that. And that's to, to yield yourself to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's simply that, you know what? You can't do this on your own. You can't work your way up the ladder. You can't climb your way to heaven. You can't do good works to get to heaven. None of that will work. The Bible says all those good works, if they're done to try to earn favor to God, are but filthy rags before a holy God. There's only one one way. Jesus himself told you the way. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but what? Through me. There's no back door. There's no side door. There's one way to heaven. That sounds kind of restrictive. Yeah, it is. But that's God's plan. If you've got a problem with it, talk to him. I don't know. I'm just telling you what it, the word says. When you come to Christ and you acknowledge your sinfulness before a holy God and you cry out to him and you say, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't save myself. I can't. I'm tired of carrying the weight of this sin around day after day after day. I want to cry out to you. Lord, be merciful to me. I want to put my faith and trust in something other than myself for once. I want to put it in the Lord Jesus Christ in his work on Calvary. I need him to save me. You ask him to do that with a sincere heart, from a broken heart, from a contrite heart, from a heart that's sorry for their sinfulness. He'll save you. And he'll he'll bring all the pieces of the puzzle together. See, we get caught up and we got to figure everything out first. Well, I don't quite understand everything. You know what? Leave that up to God. Leave it up to God. I tried to figure it out for weeks as the Lord was working on me. You know, I, I just try to... Try to figure it out. And finally, I just gave up and said, God, I don't know, but I I know that I'm a sinner and I know that I need a Savior, so save me. And he did. And I think that it's it's important for us to put things in perspective. You know, in heaven, you're not going to be sitting on the edge of a cloud playing a harp somewhere or picking flowers in some celestial garden. We're going to be busier than we've ever been. And we're going to be doing perfect work. And we're never going to grow tired. Forever we're going to fulfill that inheritance that God has given to us. Reserved for us. But you can only get there through the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this morning, if you don't know him, that you'll cry out to him. Lord, save me. Save me from my sin. Father, we thank you for this time this morning. Lord, we thank you that you've prepared a place called heaven for us. And Lord, I know that that's been the emphasis of this series. Father, we don't want to forget there's also a place called hell. And it's a very real place. Lord, and it's a place that awaits for all those who reject the free gift of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no reason for anybody to go there. Salvation is available to all, the Bible says. God desires all to come to him. I pray this morning that you would, if you're here, that you would definitely consider whether or not you're secured in your 
residency in heaven one day when you leave this earth. We, we're not sure when we will leave. None of us know when we're going to die. Only the Lord does. We all die on time. We die according to God's plan, his purpose. It could be 10 years from now. It could be tomorrow. It could be today. And the key is to be ready. Be ready for that calling. Be ready when this body gives up its last breath that we can be ushered into a place called heaven and not a place of torment and unending turmoil. No rest will be found for those in hell. None. God, you've given us such a, a blessing through Christ. I pray that all those who hear this message would cry out to you if they haven't done so already. And ask you to save their, their hearts, their lives, their souls. As only you can. Father, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.